God. Let's put our hands together. God has good plans, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future, and we are so glad to have you with the community of hope today. If, if we've never met each other before, my name is Scott, one of the pastors here, and we are thrilled that you are with us. Hey, I'd love if you would take this with you and, and put it up somewhere where you'll see it this week and be praying that God will give you vision for the new year. The series is called 2020 Vision, so all of us should be saying, Lord, wh what, what do you want to envision in my life? So take that, pray over it, and get ready to receive some things from the Lord. And then in your weekly as well, I'll just bring your attention. We have a special prayer emphasis as we begin the year. First of all, a week of fasting and prayer uh, where we'll have early morning prayer ministers come and pray over the biggest things that you're praying about in your life. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a business issue. Maybe it's a relational issue. We would love you to take this out and write down the biggest prayer needs that you have. Lay it at the altar before you leave today so we could bring it together with our intercessory team and be praying for you and your family and your loved ones. How many just believe that God has got a great 2020 waiting for you? You just need to reach out by faith and receive it. Come on, put your hands together because that's good news. Today we're wrapping up our series called Jesus is King, and we've been uh, celebrating the fact that he was promised to come uh, to this earth as king, and we celebrated that this last week uh, through Christmas. Now, Jesus probably wasn't born in December, but, it's, it's, but everybody else is celebrating, so it's a good time for us to celebrate. And I, I like the fact that it's the darkest time, the days are the shortest, and I just think about Jesus coming into the darkest season of our life and bringing it light. So I think it's a good thing to celebrate. And in the series, we looked how, how accurate Jesus was promised to come. Uh, many, many promises, hundreds of years before Jesus came, that he fulfilled. And uh, we're talking today about the fact that he promised to come the first time, and he came. We celebrated this last week. And... He's promised to come again, a second coming. And as accurately, accurately as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. Some scientists got together, mathematics people, Peter Stone and his graduate students, just to calculate the first coming of Jesus, how accurate it was. And they said, well, if there were... If there were um, eight prophecies that aligned, then the odds of that happening in one person's life would be 10 to the 17th power to one. So that's 10, 100 quadrillion to one. And that's hard. That, those numbers are like, it's like the national deficit. It's hard to imagine. But here, here's, here's what they said. If you want to imagine the odds of eight prophecies, just eight coming together and being fulfilled, if you took a, a silver dollar, I brought one with me, if you took a silver dollar, you could lay a silver dollar across the state of Texas and it would completely cover the state. Two feet deep. You ever been to Texas? It's a big state. Two feet deep. The whole state covered. Now then mark one coin. Put a happy face on it or something and, and put it out there somewhere. 
somewhere in Texas, in a city back in the West Texas where it's really wild, and then blindfold one person and say, okay, you can go wherever you want in the state of Texas, and you can take from the top, or you can take from an inch down, or half a foot down, or you can dig to the bottom, but we'd like you to walk out into Texas with this 100 quadrillion coins, and we'd like you to find one. That would be incredible odds, wouldn't it? That's just if eight of the prophecies of Jesus aligned. So then they did the math again, and they said, well, if 48 of the prophecies aligned for one person, uh, it would be 10 to the 157th power. That's, that's a huge number. I wrote it down. I, I don't even know what this number is called. I don't even know. It's a big number. It's huge. But that, that's only if there were 48 prophecies. Do you know that for the first coming of Jesus, there were over 300 prophecies that all aligned in Jesus? That, I couldn't even get all the zeros on the screen. It's just, it's mind-boggling. So here we need to get just this, this, this assurance in our hearts that when God promises something, he does it. He promised that he would come the first time, and he promises that he's going to come again. In fact, do you know how many times in the New Testament it talks about Jesus coming again? How many? 318 times. 300 prophecies about his first coming 318 times the New Testament talks about his second coming. There's only 280 chapters in the New Testament. If you did it, uh, just it would be like one every 25 verses. How many would think that this is a very important subject to the Lord? It is. And, and just get this. As accurately as we sell, and a lot of people miss the first coming. And we're going to talk today. There's going to be a lot of people who miss the second coming. I just wish my prayer that no one in this room would miss it. That would be my prayer. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss it. In fact, I'd love you to read a Matthew 24 and 25, those chapters. In those chapters, Jesus talks about his coming and the signs of his coming. Now, we could do a whole series just on those two chapters. But we're going to take one particular story about ten wedding attendants, ten virgins, But Jesus is answering a a question that was asked by his disciples at the beginning of chapter 24. His disciples come to him. They're on the Mount of Olives, and they privately ask him, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming? Now, Jesus is already there. He's already come the first time. They're asking about your second coming. What will be the signs of your second coming and of the end of the age? The first thing Jesus says is, see that no one leads you astray. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to be deceived about it. I want you to be in the know. So a good thing you're here today because you will all be in the know. You will know and know that you know and know that you know. And hopefully it will make a difference in the way we live our lives. So Jesus talks all through chapter 24 about signs of his coming. And then he comes to the beginning of chapter 25, and he tells a story as he's encouraging us to prepare for his second coming. He tells a story of ten virgins, or ten wedding attendants, or ten bridesmaids. And he tells us that that five of those bridesmaids, those attendants, five of them were wise, and that leaves how many to be foolish? See, you guys are mathematical geniuses. 
Five were wise, five were foolish. And the, the thing that made the wise ones wise was that they were waiting for the coming of the bridegroom, who in this story is the Lord. They were waiting for the bridegroom to come, and he was taking a long time, and they all fell asleep. And when in the middle of the night the cry came up, hey, the bridegroom is coming, the wise ones had brought fresh oil with them. And they were able to take their lamp or their torch, a piece of wood with a piece of cloth tied on the end, and they were able to refresh their lamps, and they were able to go with the bride. They didn't miss it. But the foolish ones missed it. In fact, in the story, they come to the door, and they're pounding on the door, please. And he says, hey, we don't know you. So the first thing I want to just say about preparing for the second coming of Christ is that I'd like everyone here listening to this message to be in the wise group. Please, please just choose, I'm going to be wise. Maybe you could put your hand on your heart and say that, I want to be wise. Yeah, okay. Maybe you could do this. Look to your, look to your neighbor and just say, you, you do look very wise. Go ahead, just tell him, you, you do look very wise. Because what's the percentage, and this, this wrecks me, when Jesus tells this story, what's the percentage of people that miss it? It's 50%. And this wrecks me that it says that five were foolish and five were wise. That's a 50-50 proposition. Now, if you are a wise person, you would show your wisdom by having a relationship with the bridegroom. That would be the first wisdom. But notice that all 10 of the wedding attendants at one time had a relationship with the bridegroom. They all were invited to the wedding. They weren't just invited to the wedding. They were in the wedding party. They all at some time had a relationship to the Lord, but five of them had let that relationship grow cold. So I would say the first two things about being wise is, number one, have a relationship with the Lord. Number two, keep that relationship alive. How many know all relationships need work? And if you're with your spouse, you, that should be a good amen. That's just true. That's true with physical relationships, natural relationships, and that's true with spiritual relationships. Have a relationship with the Lord and make sure that relationship is alive and well and healthy and build that relationship not on your feelings, but build that relationship on your faith. Your feelings will lead you astray. Jesus said you can choose to build on what he called sand, and that when the sandy life is under pressure, it will crumble. Or you can build your life and build your relationship with God on the sure foundation of faith in Christ. Now, in this relationship that we have with the Lord, um, who is the king? Okay, so who's in charge? Now, this is very important. Not your feelings. We have, and, and he says it'll be one of the signs of his soon appearance is that there will be a, a growing coldness in a large segment of people that used to have a relationship with Christ. We have in our day, not only individuals and individual churches, but whole fellowships, whole networks, whole denominations of churches that are abandoning historic faith standards and doing their own thing. 
I listened to a message, a local church here, and they were going through a change that they were making, which would be a pretty historic mainline beliefs and practices of church that they were changing. I listened to the talk, and there was very little scripture in the talk. It was mostly we feel and we think, and I have someone that. It was all personal feeling. It wasn't on faith. Be very aware of this. As the coming of the Lord gets closer, there's going to be more feeling people that fall asleep and have no oil. I would like you to be the wise ones that have a relationship with Christ built on a solid foundation of faith. And be wise enough just to see the signs of the times. Um. No one knows for sure, and we'll get to a scripture, no one knows the exact day or the hour of Christ's second coming, but we, uh, we can see it's getting closer. In chapter 24, Jesus said, one of the signs of my second coming will be an increase in earthquakes. And earthquakes have been escalating at an alarming rate. In the 1940s, globally, Earthquakes that were in excess of 6.0 Richter scale earthquakes was 51. By the 50s, it was up to 475. By the 80s, it was 1,085. And by the 1990s, 1,500. Geometrically, just, it's going up and up and up. There is more earthquakes taking place now than at any time in the earth's history that we know about. And just this morning, there was a news report about a fault in California, the Garlock Fault, that it's connected to the San Andreas Fault, and it's been shifting a lot more than they had thought. And if it sets off the San Andreas Fault, it's going to be devastating not only in Los Angeles, but simultaneously in San Francisco. This is why all Californians should move to Florida. Plus, 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 no state income tax. I'm, I'm a Florida supporter. There you go. Just, wait, there, there's just more earthquake activity. Jesus said another sign of my coming will be the persecution of Christians. And uh, two times this week on the news, I watched them talk about the increased persecution of Christians. They are saying that Christianity and Christians are the most persecuted religious group on the planet today. Christian Post wrote an article that in a 10-year span, 900,000, almost a million Christians, Christians were martyred or killed. It's, it's, it's more than at any time. So I just want you to be wise enough to see. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. But we certainly can see that the coming of Christ is sooner than it was yesterday. <laughs> it is. That's the truth. But we can see these signs that say Christ is coming again. He kept his promise the first time. He's keeping his promise the second time. Christ is about to show up. He could show up in 2020. He may show up in 2019. Just be, be, be wise enough to just be aware. He also says, as he teaches us, be watchful. He says it over and over again. In fact, as he ends the, the teaching or the story of the ten uh, wedding attendants, the ten virgins, he, he wraps up that teaching with this verse. He says, therefore, okay, because of all the things I've told you, about 50% not making it, that, check, that shakes me up, therefore, watch, 
for you don't know the day or the hour of my coming. He says in the 24th chapter, stay awake, be, be alert, tune into the fact that I am coming again. Be aware, I'm coming. Now, being watchful doesn't mean we get weird. No, there's a lot, there's weird stuff in the body of Christ when it comes to the second coming of Christ. And I will just, I want to just coach you a little bit on not getting caught up in the weirdness. As you're watching for the coming of the Lord, don't believe people that tell you what date is coming. I don't know if you were around in the 1980s, but there was a publication in the 1980s by a Nassau engineer, so people gave him a lot of credibility, and he issued, hold, sold hundreds of thousands of these, 88 reasons why Christ is coming in 1988. Did anybody see that? Yeah, some of you saw. Okay, some. I, I, and, and, and Jesus didn't come in 88. So the same guy, this is true. The same guy wrote another book. True. 89 reasons why God is coming back in 89. Don't get caught up in the weirdness. In, in, the, in fact, I believe this. I think if someone publicized a date, Jesus would change it. Just to be biblical. Because nobody knows the day or the hour. Just don't get caught up in, don't get in the speculation. People are like, they know who the Antichrist is. And every generation has the theory on who the Antichrist is. I, I've done some reading, historic reading, and people were sure that Mussolini was the Antichrist. They were sure. And then they were sure that Adolf Hitler, and he certainly had a lot of the characteristics. I think he was, I think he was a candidate. I think that the devil always has a candidate that he's grooming. That's my thought. So Adolf Hitler, I, I read, I read a, um, a, a booklet that, that promised that they had figured it out that Prince Charles, we still got our eye on him, <laughs> but he was that because he was going to sit on the throne. I, I read another booklet where someone took our former Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, they took his name and they applied what they called biblical numer numerology. Don't get caught up in the weirdness. They applied biblical numerology to the name of Henry Kissinger, and they calculated that his name added up to 666. The number of the Antichrist. Uh, almost every president gets tagged by somebody. Both sides, Democrat and Republican, they tag them both. Whoever, yes, and yes. I'm not going to say anything more about that. Just while you're watching, just be aware that it, Jesus said it's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be doing their thing, like giving in marriage, marrying. There's going to be increased wickedness. I think we certainly can see increased wickedness, increased. Um, seismic activity, increased persecution. I think we can see these things and just be watching and just be aware that Christ is coming again and live with an awareness that he's coming. That's healthy for us. And it changes the way that we approach our spirituality. The biggest warning that comes out of this story is, or the biggest preparation is that we would be filled with fresh oil or have a fresh experience in our relationship with the Lord. 
What was the difference between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins? The wise ones had fresh oil. And uh, when they were all resting, when they were all asleep, and they said, hey, the bridegroom is coming, the Lord is coming, they all woke up, and the wise ones trimmed their torch. It would be like a torch. Trim off the old cloth and poured on the oil. In fact, you remember when the, the foolish ones, if you read the story, the foolish ones said to the wise ones, hey, could we have your oil? And if you don't understand it, you can say, well, those wise ones were kind of stingy. But here's the truth. You can't live on someone else's spiritual experience. You can't borrow from your wife or your husband. Your spiritual experience is unique to you. I can't live my dad's spiritual experience. You can't live my spiritual experience. The Holy Spirit is trying to do something in every heart that's in this room. And what he would like to do is something fresh. Not yesterday's blessing. And somehow, 50% of the ones that had some love relationship with the bridegroom at some point had grown cold and indifferent, maybe because of a, uh, a relationship or some sinful activity. They had just lapsed into an experience where they had no oil. They had no fresh experience. They used to have oil, but they didn't have it today. And this is just such an ideal time for us to think about this story because we're making the transition from one year to another, and it's a great time for us to get our lamps out and do some trimming. If you, if you had some terrible things that happened last year, trim it. Let it go. Trim it off. Get ready for something new. If you had something really good happen, trim it off. Get ready for a new year. Did you hear from the prophet Isaiah the words that Pastor Mark spoke while we were in worship? They were words that said, get ready for God to do something new. And what this story is about is about having a fresh anointing, a fresh experience. The oil in the scriptures is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. What the teaching is, is that everyone has an, an anointing, has a relationship with God through the power of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, but it's got to be fresh. If you don't want to miss the second coming of Christ, that has to be something fresh. Last year was no good. Last month was no good. Actually, last week was no good. You need something fresh, a wind, a fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart. I would say right now, somebody said it, today. That's the difference between the wise and the foolish. Where are the people that want to be wise again? Where are those people again? Where are the wise people? Yeah, that's the difference. And this is just an ideal time to say, Lord, I don't want, I don't want something from Scott. I don't want something from the Church of Hope. I'm in your house, and in your name, I invite you to do in my heart what you want to do. If my heart has grown cold, if it's grown hard, soften it up with your oil. If it's grown cold, put it on fire. Light my torch again. I'm willing to let go of last year, last month. The last, we're doing a decade change too. Maybe you need to let go of a whole decade. Trim it off. They're gone. We're moving into the 20s. 
and may they be the new Roaring Twenties. I, I just said that. It was a word of prophecy just came out right there. May it be something fresh and new. And as we think about the coming of Christ, this is the story that Jesus tells. And there's a lot of uh, speculation when you talk to people about the second coming and Bible prophecy. And there are various camps and various churches. And um, I would just encourage you to never let this teaching become divisive between you and those that hold another view. Because sometimes it does. Uh, people have words that are not in the Bible that describe end-time events. Uh, words like uh, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-millennial, all-millennial, post-millennial. None of those words are in the Bible. But sometimes they get very entrenched in their camp and they won't talk to other people who are in another slightly different view. And I will just tell you with the Apostle Paul that when it comes to end-time events, we all look through a glass darkly. And, and we see, okay, um, but I will tell you while we're looking through the glass darkly, let me give you uh, three um, absolutes. I wasn't going through my scriptures very good there. But three absolute certainties when it comes to the second coming of Christ. The first thing I would say, this is absolutely true, no matter what somebody believes, pre, post, mid, it's absolutely true that Christ is coming again. And it's true how he's going to come again. The same body that went on the cross and was crucified, the same body that was taken down from the cross and went into the tomb, the same body that rose on the third day and was seen by his disciples for over a month, the same body that on the Mount of Olives lifted up and went into the heavens, that same body, the angel said, is going to come. That's the same Jesus is going to come back in that body, and he's going to come back to the same spot that he left from. He's coming back to the planet, and it's not going to be a secret coming. Revelation tells us that every eye, every eye will see the coming of the Lord. It's not going to be a secret thing. If you hear, if someone tells you, whispers in your ear, Jesus has returned, and he's living in Altoona. He's not living in Altoona. He's going to come in a way that everyone's going to know about it, probably by television or by the Internet or by somebody's going to get it on their cell phone. I don't know. But they're going to see it, and every eye is going to see him. So he's coming back to the earth. He promised he would. And just to remind you, with the same accuracy that he promised his first coming, he has promised his second coming. We just celebrated his first coming, and so many people missed his first coming. I would like you not to be in the foolish camp. I'd like you to be in the wise camp of people that are not going to miss his second coming. So be aware he's coming again, and we should be, re we should be getting ready. Uh, and the things we've talked about today are part of getting ready, being wise, being watchful, having a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, a fresh relationship with God. But the most important thing John, the friend of Jesus, tells us in preparing for the coming of Christ is that we would be, he calls it, abiding in Christ or abiding in him. And the way we abide in Christ is allowing Christ to abide in us. We're going to pray a prayer before we leave here today that says, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. 
I want you to abide in me so that I can abide in you. And when you have that relationship, then you don't have to be afraid of his coming. You actually will approach his coming, and the Bible says, with confidence that doesn't shrink from it or in shame, but you're going to be actually excited about the coming of the Lord. Be prepared. Over and over again in the chapters we've been talking about, he tells us, stay awake, be ready, watch therefore, be aware that Christ is coming again. I don't know how often you think about the second coming of Christ, but you should think about it regularly. Possibly when you receive communion, you could add this to your prayers, when you receive communion. That as you take the bread and the cup of the Lord, you remember that Jesus said, I'm not going to take the bread or the cup until I gather you together in my kingdom. Jesus is present in our communion, but he's not part of the communion. But there's going to come a communion service that Jesus leads. And every time you have communion, you could be looking forward saying, Jesus, I'm ready for you to come again. And just in your heart, just say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Be ready for his coming. And then... We're sure he's coming, we should be ready for his coming, and we should be busy in between his promise coming and the actuality of his coming. We should be busy in our Father's business. We shouldn't be debating end-time charts. That is not our Father's business. What are you, what, what camp are you in? Oh, I can't talk to you. That's not our Father's business. Jesus says, as he teaches about his coming, he says in chapter 24 and 46, blessed is that servant, you, you all, blessed is that servant whom his master finds doing the master's work when he comes. And what is the master's work? The master's work, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, is to share the gospel. Here's what we should be doing. While we're waiting for that second coming, we know he's coming, we know he's not here yet, but we know he's coming. We're prepared, we're abiding in Christ, we're letting Christ abide in us. And we should be sharing the gospel of the kingdom and proclaiming it throughout the whole world. We should be sharing, spreading the gospel. And then when the whole world has heard, then the end's gonna come, that's what he says. So we need to be witnessing, we need to be giving, we need to be serving, we need to be loving. That's how we share the gospel. We share the gospel by witnessing, by telling people about Jesus Christ. We share the gospel by giving. Every time you give, you're helping to share the gospel. You're helping to share the gospel locally in this assembly and internationally in our missions programs. You're helping to spread the gospel. That's what we should be doing until he comes. When you serve, if you're on a serve team anywhere, helping to serve the kingdom of God, your service is helping to spread the gospel. For example, the, the worker that's serving in the tiny town team, that's our nursery team, who is today working with a diaper that's messed, they do that is helping me to be able to be here and talk to you without the distraction of a diaper or someone changing a diaper in your row. How many can just see the correlation? They're helping to share the gospel. Everyone that, everyone that serves helps to share the gospel and by loving people. So he calls us to be people 
who are wise, who are watching, who have a fresh experience with God. We're busy in our Father's business, which is sharing the gospel with as many people as we can. We're reaching out to people that are far away from God. We're loving them. We're inviting them. We're including them. This is the Father's business that we should be a part of because Christ is coming again, and he wants us to be watching, ready, and willing for him to come, and in our hearts crying out, even so, come Lord Jesus. We can't wait to see you, but until we see you, we're getting ready to see you, and we're bringing as many people with us as we can. Amen. That's good. So if I could invite you to stand for prayer and to close your eyes, please. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and stand here and just prepare to pray with you and and for you. And I would like you to listen to the most important voice in this room, not my voice, but the voice of the Lord. What is the Lord saying to you through these scriptures and through this worship experience? What is he saying to you about your life? What needs to be transformed? What needs to be changed? And are you ready for the coming of the Lord? As sure as he came the first time, he is coming again with the same accuracy and the same power of his promise. He has promised hundreds of times, I'm coming again, and we want to be ready for that. I give this invitation, which we do in almost all of our services, for you to abide in Christ by allowing Christ to abide in you opening your heart for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time to renew a relationship with Jesus. But we're going to pray a prayer together that receives the presence of Christ. You don't, you, it doesn't matter what you've done. God is not interested in your past. He's interested in this moment and where you're going in the future. This is a moment of trimming off the past. Let it go so that God can do something fresh in your life today. That's wisdom. Wisdom is having a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And may the Holy Spirit breathe across this room right now. May the Holy Spirit light a fire in your heart right now. And may the fresh oil of the Spirit's presence draw you to Jesus. As we pray together this prayer, and I ask you to pray with all the people around you, the people in front of you, the people behind you, they are left and right all together, this prayer, this community prayer of putting our faith in God and announcing Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Could you pray with the people around you this simple prayer of faith? In Jesus' name, pray. Heavenly Father, I need you in my life. So I open my heart and my soul to Jesus. I turn away from my sins and I turn towards you to receive your forgiveness, your grace, your love, your mercy. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Now help me to follow Jesus every day of my life. To the glory of God we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. That's a yes. That's that's a yeah. That's a good prayer. Just that's a that's a good prayer. And if you're praying it for the first time or for the first time in a long time, uh, tell one of our prayer team before you go, say, I prayed with Scott, that they can pray a prayer with you. And whatever the Lord is talking to you about, whatever he's trying to say to you, maybe you need to be, maybe there's even a filling, a, a, a Holy Spirit experience before you leave. Just say, I need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, or I need healing, or I need, my family has a need. So that's why we're here. Also, if you'd like to receive communion, there's a communion table on the left-hand side, the right-hand side. And 
as you take communion, maybe you'll be thinking, Jesus, you're not taking the bread, you're not taking the cup, but you're going to come again and we're going to share this meal together. This meal is a memorial that we're going to look back towards the cross and say thank you for the cross, but look forward to your coming when we'll gather with you in your kingdom. And please, please, please be wise enough not to miss it. And as you take communion, say, Lord, thank you for loving me. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. If you have been a guest here today, you're new to hope. Uh, if you've never stopped by the VIP room, please do that today. You are a VIP if you're new to the fellowship. And we'd like to greet you. We'd like to meet you. We'd like to gift you. And we're just glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Come again, please. Our prayer is, is that you will come alive in Christ, that he will build you up in your most holy faith, and that you'll be sent into the purpose that God has planned for you on the planet, doing the Father's business. I'm going to pray a blessing. After the blessing, there's no other benediction. People will come for prayer. People will come for communion. You're most welcome. You don't have to be a member of the church, just a friend, a follower of Jesus, to renew that relationship or to celebrate that relationship. And uh, people will pray. People will worship. People will go with the grace of God. But we bless you. Thanks for being here. We pray that as you end this year, maybe you'd want to do something I'm going to do in my home. I'm going to take some oil, and I'm going to go through my home just symbolically saying, Lord, I want a fresh anointing for my home. I want to put oil on my doorpost and say, Lord, I want a fresh anointing on my home. When we have our week of prayer, we'll go through the church, put some oil on the doorpost, just say, Lord, thanks for that. Thanks for all the things that have happened. But God, we are ready for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit here at Hope that will transform lives and do your work your way. Just pray with us on these things. So I pray the Lord will bless you. Pray the Lord will keep you. I pray that you'll be wise enough to have a relationship with the Lord and wise enough to stay in that relationship. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you even today before you go and that you'll hear from his voice and his heart. I pray that you'll be blessed in Jesus' name and I bless you in the name that's above every other name. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Let's just give the Lord a, a thank you for, for being here. Thanks for being here. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And, and please, come forward for prayer. Come forward for communion. And may the blessing of the Lord.